1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13 is our scripture today. You're invited to just listen or to follow along in whatever way works for you. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, is, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the, with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things, childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, say it with me, love. God bless the reading of this word this morning. And to go along with this great choir and these great words, I have another great message from the Fab Five. preacher and just starting out, I like to go and talk to the older preachers, the old retired ones, the ones that have been there and done that, uh, to, to get some advice on how to, to be a preacher, to serve a church. And I had a little notebook that I actually took notes in. And I went and asked this older guy one time, I said, uh, can you give me, I was taking my first church, I was scared to death. And I said, can you give me some advice on how to be a good pastor? And he, he kind of nodded and smiled and he said, um, just love them. And I smiled and nodded like this was, wrote it down even, you know. Uh, but inside I was thinking, really? Is that the best you can do? Just, just love them? He said, yes, just wherever you're sent, just love them. And then the next thing that crossed my mind was this song that we just heard a snippet from. 
I was just 20 years old, and I wanted more than that. I thought, you know, I thought at least he was going to say, you have to preach with the tongue of men and angels, and you have to have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and faith. And speaking of faith, you got to have faith, boy. you got to have faith that can move mountains. You might even have to go and sell all that you have and give it away and go wherever the district superintendent sends you. I didn't want to hear him say that. But all he said was, just love them. Now, you know, 30-something years later, I see the wisdom in what he was saying. Because I was all about proclaiming the truth, but I found out that it doesn't matter what you say if you don't say it in love. I, I, was, I was all about people uh, wanting to know I was right, but I found out that people want to know you're real a lot more than they want to know you're right. And people don't care too much about what you know until they know that you care. So he had a lot of things going for him. All that other stuff, listen, I'm not saying it's not important. Preaching, of course, is important. Prophecy is important. Knowledge, faith, giving, serving, all of that's important. But what I'm here to tell you today is if you do all of that and you don't have love, you're a big, fat nothing. Zero, zip, nada. Okay, so I'm going to shift gears and have you do a test with me today. You look like you're up for it. Does the choir look like they're ready for a test? I can't see behind me. They look like they're ready. We're gonna, this is what I call the clowns and politicians test. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> so, can Matthew, do we have that slide of the hitchhiking? Okay. So you have to use your imagination. Imagine you're driving along and you're by yourself and you're on an on a interstate road. And on the side of the road is a clown, and he's hitchhiking. He's got his thumb out, and he's got a sign there that says, Late for a birthday party. Okay, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you will stop and pick up the hitchhiking clown? Raise your hand if you would. Whoa, not very many. I had more than 8.30 service that says they would, 8.45 service. Okay, so how many of you would put the pedal to the metal and blow by as fast as you could go? Raise your hand. How many of you would swerve and try to hit him? That's not very nice, but let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're in church. Okay. I have to give full disclosure today. I'm kind of creeped out by clowns, by clowns, and I know whose fault it is. I blame it all on Stephen King. I watched that movie, uh, Pastor Andy, with a youth group at a lock in In the middle of the night, I watched that Stephen King movie, It. Biggest mistake I ever made. Because not only did I not sleep a wink that night, I have been creeped out by clowns ever since. Whatever you do, do not under any circumstances watch that movie or read that book if you don't want yourself to be ruined for life with clowns. Oh, so disturbing. Okay, next part of the test. You're driving along the same stretch of road and, uh, and you see a car broken down on the side of the road and you realize that someone's hitchhiking and it turns out to be one of the candidates for the 2020 presidential election. You pick which side you want, okay? Whichever side you would be most likely to swerve and try to hit, you pick that side, okay? So would you stop? Even if it wasn't your side, would you stop? Would you go on by or would you be tempted to just swerve, you know, 
Well, the reason I, the reason I do this is because this emotional reaction that we have to clowns and politicians is there for a reason. It's probably there because of some experience that we've had that has, that has kind of hurt us and it has made us automatically assume the worst about those particular people. To automatically assume the worst without even having the information, just automatically assume the worst. And there's a problem with that. And you say, well, I know there's a problem with that. It's the clowns and the politicians. Well, it's not just that, y'all. It's an internal problem with us. Because when I automatically assume the worst about somebody just because of whatever cynicism that I have, and I'm leaving with whatever, whatever guile that I have on the inside of me, then I'm not being what I have to be, which is loving. I'm not being loving. It's the way, I know it's the way of the world, y'all. I've never in my life struggled not to be cynical and jaded and, and just full of bile when it comes to clowns and politicians. I had this struggle more than, than I ever have in my whole life. But that's the way of the world. It's not the way of God. And that's not how I want to be because, to be honest with you, I want to bear the family resemblance. I want to bear the family resemblance. I want to look like Jesus. I want to learn how to love. And when I always assume the worst about somebody, what I am, the very least of what I am, is unloving. And to the extent that I'm unloving, I'm ungodly. I want to say that one more time. To the extent that I'm unloving, I'm ungodly. So, now tell me the truth. When you saw that I was preaching a sermon on all you need is love, I bet you thought we were going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya or something like that. But no, y'all. This is the hardest thing. This is, this is the sermon that I'm tempted to wear steel-toed boots and preach it to myself. It's the hardest thing to do and to do right that you'll ever do. Because when I say all you need is love, I'm not talking about having warm, fuzzy feelings. It's more like, it's more like a baseball manager standing in front of a team at the beginning of the year and said, all right, y'all, listen up. All you've got to do, all you need to do is win 120 games this year. That's all you need to do. And they're thinking, really, that's all? That's all we need to do? When I say all you need in love is love, what I mean is that loving God and loving neighbor is not just a component of the Christian life. It is the component of the Christian life. Loving people that way is so hard. Because some people aren't easy to love, are they? See, loving's not for sissies. Not when you're talking about God's kind of love. Not when you're talking about the kind of love that we see in verses 4 through 8 in 1 Corinthians 13. That's God's kind of love. It's not this warm, fuzzy, uh, here, let's go out on a date kind of love. It's, um, well, it, our English language just doesn't do it very much justice. Because we only have one word in the English language, love. And we use it for everything. We use it for romantic love. We use it for friendship love. We use it when we say, I love that new show on Netflix. We use it when we say, I love fried chicken. It's the same word, even though we mean different things. But the Greek language is so much more rich, has so much more a variety. There's a special word in the Greek language for love that you might have heard. Have you ever heard of agape? Raise your hand if you've heard of agape. 
That may be the only Greek word you know that's not connected to a fraternity or sorority, but that's okay. It's God's kind of love, and it means loving or caring actions toward other people for their benefit. Loving or caring actions toward other people for their benefit. It's not a, it's not really a feeling at all. It's certainly not the warm fuzzy. If that were so, then Jesus would have never said love your enemies if it were a warm feeling. It's that unselfish, unconditional action towards somebody else for their benefit. Sometimes it comes out in tough love because sometimes that person's benefit means, means tough love. But whatever it is, however it turns out, it's always for that person's best interest. You say, well, what if it's a psycho clown? Well, if it's a psycho clown, maybe what I need to do is, is to love them enough to help them get into a rehab program for criminally insane clowns. Maybe that's what love looks like in that case. But it's God's kind of love. And it's difficult to do. Because, oh, look what his love looks like. Verses 14, uh, verses 4 through 8. Can we get that list? Have you found that list up there, Matthew? We're having technical difficulties. So if you have an insert in your newsletter... I want you to take it out. I want you to look at these 16 qualities. I call them love sweet 16. 16 things. I'm going to read them. I want you to look at them because I want them to sink in. God's kind of love is patient. His love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth, with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. Just look at that sweet 16 list for just a little bit. So as we read this, I don't want us to read this sentimentally. Every one of us has heard this chapter read at a wedding before, haven't you? Have you heard it at a wedding? Maybe even at your wedding. Beautiful to read at a wedding. Just, just makes you feel all warm and sentimental inside. But I don't want you to be sentimental today. I want you to feel like this is the biggest challenge you'll ever have in your life. I want these words to, to haunt you to, like they haunt me every time I read this because... Here's how I want you to read it from now on. I want you to put a blank before each one of those 16 things. And I want you to see if you could honestly plug your name in front of each one of those 16. For, like for, for me, <clears throat> can I truly say Sam is patient, Sam is kind, Sam does not envy, Sam does not boast, Sam is not proud, Sam is not rude, Sam is not self-seeking. See how, see how that goes? Can you honestly plug your name in there? Because that's what love looks like. That's what the Lord looks like. That's what God wants for us, all you need is love. Starts to sound pretty challenging right now, doesn't it? Okay, I'm going to pick a couple of these. Number nine, if you're, if you're married today, number nine, love keeps no record of wrongs. Some of y'all are snickering. I'm talking about that, you know, that mental filing cabinet where we file all the wrongs away. And then when we get in an argument, we pull that drawer out and we say, on, on September the 13th, 1994, you forgot my mother's birthday. <laughs> or whatever, you know. 
that mental filing cabinet. I guess today, since we have the cloud, whatever the cloud is, we don't need the filing cabinet, we just have the cloud. We call it the storm cloud. So when we're having a stormy autumn, we just pull something down out of the storm cloud. Well, you remember 10 years ago when you did? Oh, okay. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Number 14, love always hopes. One commentator put it this way, love never regards anyone or anything as hopeless. Always hopes. Always hopes. And then this little voice in my head, this little voice in my head says, always? Really? Always? Even the other side? Going back to the picture of the clowns and the politicians, number 13, love always trusts. Ooh. Always trust. I don't know about that. I don't know about that because of the gap. You know what gap I'm talking about? The gap between what I expect and what that other person does. There's a gap there. That gap that says, well, you said you were going to be here at 10 and you didn't get here until 1030. Or I bought this product and it was supposed to work, but it didn't. It's a gap. See, in our relationships, there's sometimes a gap between what we expect out of that person and what they actually deliver. The question is, what are we going to put in the gap? How are we going to fill that gap? Will we always protect and always trust and hope and persevere without fail? Will we do that? Will we put God's kind of love in that gap and choose to believe in and to hope for and to trust the best out of that person? Can we live in relationship like that? Because, y'all, that is what God looks like. Believing in, hoping in. When I think about what God looks like, I, of course, picture Jesus Christ, but particular scenes come to mind. I think about Luke chapter 19, and I think about this wee little man named Zacchaeus who everybody hates. He's a tax collector. He, everybody expects him to be a lowlife. He's cheated people. He's gotten rich off of their backs with the protection of Rome. Everybody, everybody hates him. They hate him so much they won't even let him get up to the side of the road to see Jesus. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree, right? And Jesus stops and looks up at him. Here's what love looks like. Zacchaeus, come down, for I must go to your house. Love always hopes. Love never looks at anyone as hopeless. That's what God looks like. What do you see God when you picture God in your mind? What do you see God looking like? Um, I used to ask uh, children to draw pictures of what they think God looks like. I remember a, a little guy drew a picture of a little stick figure with a cape on. I said, I said well, what is that all about? He said, well, that's this superhero cape because God is the world's superhero. Oh, okay. And then another little girl drew one that had a, a head and it had like a giant ear on there, right? And I said, okay, what's up with the giant ear? And she said, that's so God can hear all our prayers. And I thought, okay, I like that. So what do you see? What do you picture when you picture God in your mind? To be honest with you, I picture my grandmother. Now, I know my grandmother was not God. She was just a little country Mississippi woman but when I look at how she loved me and I look at those 16 things 
You know what I see? I see the family resemblance. And I'm not talking about my biological family. I'm talking about the family of God. I'm talking about the way she looked at me and always looked for the best in me. And I, I, I didn't always show the best, but she always looked for it. I'm talking about how she was for me when I didn't even know if I was for myself, but she was there. She was for me. Now, did she discipline me? Yes. This is the country we talked about. We went and got our own switches. But I always knew that she loved me. And I always knew that she did that because I belonged to her. I was her boy. Were there gaps between what my grandmother expected of me and how I actually was? Sure. But she filled those gaps with love and with oatmeal cookies and with hugs. And she made me want to be the kind of person that she believed that I was. I hope that you have somebody that loves you like that in your life. Because if you do, you're going to be a better person because of it. Here's an even bigger question. Would you be that kind of person in somebody else's life? Would you be willing to practice that kind of love in your relationships? Trusting always, hoping always, persevering always, believing the best always. All you need is love. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you're thinking, I need some help. <laughs> I need some help because I don't know if I can do this, Lord. But Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. The help is there. Even for those difficult to love people, the help is there. All that other stuff, the preaching and prophecies and spiritual gifts and religion and knowledge and all of the stuff that churches fight over, that churches split over, all that stuff's going to come to an end someday. It's all going to run its course and be over, and when all is said and done, you know what's going to be left standing? In verse 13, now these three remain, what? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love which is all we need. And boy, do we really need it. Let's pray. God, thank you not just for loving us, but for being loved. Thank you not just for loving us, but for being love incarnate through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you not just for loving us, but for pouring your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the measure.